Hello there, and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast, a show to encourage and empower creative CEOs just like yourself through actionable legal, tax, and financial topics. I'm Brayden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator, but you can just call me Brayden, your gay best friend, here to help you unfuck that biz. If you're ready to dive in, grab a notebook, maybe some coffee, and buckle in to learn how you can implement solid strategies to build a profitable business. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast. As always, this is your host, Brayden, and today I am joined by a new friend of mine, Nicole Lucas with PIA Commercial Insurance. Nicole, how are you doing? I am doing amazing. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, I'm very excited. So for context for both you, Nicole, because we, we didn't really we didn't really like prep much. We just hit record and, and <laughs> dove in. So this is for you and my audience. Um. I actually sat down yesterday morning and I was like, I really need to revisit insurance on the podcast because I haven't talked about it in a minute. And I'm like, but there's only so much I can tell people other than like, go find an insurance broker. And so then I was like, well, maybe I should just talk to Nicole. So for my audience, for context, I just started working with Nicole like two weeks ago for my own insurance. And I was like, this lady seems pretty chill. Let's have her on the podcast. So how's that sound? You ready to do this? Let's do it. Let's go. All right. Awesome. Well, I tell everyone, um, all of my clients, everyone on the podcast, I teach this concept called the layers of protection for your business. And I talk about how um, layers of legal protection are like layers of clothing and the amount of layers you need is dependent on a lot of variables, right? Like, are you a naturally cold person, like a risk averse person? Then you want more layers so you can sleep better at night. Also, how long have you been in business? And I always say contracts and insurance are the absolute essentials and then like LLCs after that and then trademarks. So first of all, Nicole, do you agree with that assessment? Absolutely. And I feel like it's different. It's going to look different for every single business. Uh Uh-huh. Nope. Two businesses. Even if you have like two McDonald's, they're not going to be the same. (laughs) Well, why do you think I know why I think insurance is essential, but why do you think it's essential? You know, honestly, in today's world, (laughs) that's a loaded question, Uh but, um, you know, honestly, it does come down to layers. It comes down to taking the risk of everyone wanting to sue everybody for everything Mm -hmm. and pushing it off on a third party. Not only is that important for your business, but it's important for your own personal interest. Like most of our businesses are our livelihood. So if our business goes down, we go down. Like it's connected. There's too much at risk. Yeah. And yeah, some people are going to say, uh, insurance. Yeah. I didn't get paid out for this. I didn't get paid out for that. Like what have you, there are certain circumstances where it's not going to cover a hundred percent, but for the big stuff, it's going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I always try to impress on people is like, a lot of people are like, well, I only need insurance if I like fuck something up. Right. And I'm a good business owner. Like I'm not <laughs> going to do that. This is the nice thing. We can swear on my podcast because it's called unfuck your biz with Brayden. Right. Yeah. But I just reopened my law firm as you know, Nicole, a couple months ago. And already I have like three different clients who are being threatened with lawsuits. I would say a couple of them are like justified. And then they made like minor mistakes and they probably should like give these give the people who are threatening them like 500 to $1,000 because that's probably the monetary harm that they caused. Um, The other one I would say is like totally bogus. Um, But in all of the cases, people are threatening, you know, $20,000 lawsuit, $50,000 lawsuit. And what do we do? 
turn it panic. over to the insurance company. <laughs> <laughs> or panic. Yeah, well, panic first. Panic first, talk to Brayden second, then we don't panic, and then we talk to our insurance company, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's the scary part, is there's a lot of bogus claims. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people out there threatening just to try and get a buck. So there's a fine line. Yeah. What would you say? I don't know if you have experience with this. I should maybe I have some attorney friends who are defense lawyers for insurance companies. So maybe I should ask them this question. But if you have any firsthand experience when those like semi bogus lawsuits happen, how often is the insurance company just going to like quickly settle it and get rid of it versus like fully fight it? Yeah, you know, well, okay, so it kind of depends. Obviously, they're going to research. So I see a lot of the bogus stuff on like work comp claims, like employee let's say employee gets fired and they decide to retaliate or whatever. So we see a lot of bogus stuff on workers' compensation, but the insurance company is going to do the due diligence. They're not just going to cut them a check unless there is obviously evidence that the other party is able to provide. Like this isn't just a, let me cut you a check and shut you up. This is more than that. Like even to the point of hiring like investigative services, to look into somebody to find out, okay, is this person walking with a walker? Is this person on a roof? Like, let's get more in depth. Okay, I guess because from my experience, the little experience I have in this was working in a law firm where I had to go to some mediations for some car accident cases. And those are probably a lot different because the liability is a lot clearer, right? (laughs) Like this person rear-ended me. So the insurance is like, instead of 50,000 pain and suffering, how about we just give you 15,000 and you go get your car fixed? Is like a lot, probably a lot quicker and snappier. And that's one thing you have to remember is each line of insurance is going to be so different. Auto is most of the time, 70% at least cut and dry. And obviously they want to try and stay out of court. So the litigation fees don't just stack up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, settling in that case is a whole different conversation versus like work first compensation versus like copyright infringement. There's so many different yeah. like scenarios. Yeah. Okay. So let's kind of, let's kind of circle back and we'll start from the beginning because I want to establish what kind of businesses do you normally work with? You know, so with my company, we are, we started out working with just printing companies. So distributors, vendors, manufacturers, um, lots and lots and lots of printing. Now we kind of opened the door about five years ago and pretty much do it all. Personally, myself, I work with a lot of errors and emissions, professional liability. I do a lot of workers' compensation, treatment centers, detox, mental health, um, martial arts studios, things like that. So I work with mostly, and I think that you know this as well, but I work with a lot of wedding professionals. So a lot of wedding planners, photographers, a lot of interior designers, graphic designers. So a lot of folks that are really just like working from their home offices virtually, I guess the wedding folks are doing in-person events which brings in some general liability. Interior designers are working in people's homes. So that's like some different kind of liability. But I want to get into, for these folks in particular, because we don't want to, like, we don't want to spend a lot of time talking about my malpractice insurance. That's not interesting to them. They don't care, (laughs) right? Right. All you would need to know is that um, my insurance probably is going to cost a lot more than all of you folks that are listening. So that's good news for you. But let's say, let's say like a wedding photographer came to you what kind of questions are you going to ask them in order to figure out what kind of insurance they need? Yeah. So I'm going to ask them kind of a lot of things about like their role. 
So you can have, let's do, let's do like a role play exercise. So you ask the questions and I'll pretend like I'm a photographer. Okay, Brayden. So what is it that you actually do? Are you the main photographer? Are you the backup? Are you on site? Are you consulting? Tell me what you do. Yeah. So I am a main photographer. I am a solopreneur. So I'm a single member LLC. It's just me, but I occasionally have uh, second shooters with me at events and every once in a while, an associate photographer who will like lead shoot when I'm not there. Okay, perfect. So pretty much if anything happens, it's on you because you're the one the contract is with, right? Yes. Okay, absolutely. Now we do need to talk about, do you have a brick and mortar walk-in? Do you work from home? What does that look like for your space? No, I work from home. So take all my calls out of my home office. But of course, you know, weddings are in events. If I'm working with local clients, I usually try to meet them, you know, like at a coffee shop or something, just so we can establish an in-person relationship. But other than that, home and then at the event. Perfect. So right from there, that's enough information to tell me that the basically the next thing we need to talk about is equipment, backup of storage, kind of like their plan, what you would do. Um, we would obviously talk about general liability. We would talk about backup shooters and other people that were bringing into that contract on our behalf, which are also known as subs. Mm-hmm. And just that easy conversation back and forth gave me enough information to kind of know, okay, now we need to go the next route okay and kind of where to take that so the that person they're probably going to get like a general liability and professional liability policy is that what that they looks are. like and usually some kind of um equipment coverage or business uh-huh. personal property you know they may even get to a point where they have advertising injury coverage which is kind of similar to you know general liability it's just an additional endorsement um, there's going to be a number of things depending on where they market, how they market. It's more than just, I need to cover you if something happens. Yeah. So how does it work when I have like those second shooters and associates? Cause if I told you, you know, each second shooter only really does like one event. So I got to have like 15 per year. I hopefully am not going to have to like add 15 people onto my policy. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. So anybody back up, like I said, it's kind of like a sub. When you bring in a sub, it's doing work on your behalf. They should actually have their own insurance. And yes, you do need a copy of that. You need to keep a copy of that. And it kind of is just like a CYA, like cover your butt. Because if they don't, let's say they do something on your behalf, guess what? You're the name on the contract. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what X, Y, and Z does. You brought them in. You're responsible. You're the go-to. So what am I looking for? Okay, I'm I'm hiring my like my really good friend. I met them, you know, at a business event two years ago. We talk all the time on Instagram DMs and we're both wedding photographers. And I'm like, hey, can you come second shoot for me on this day? And they say, sure. And then I say, my insurance broker says I need a copy of your insurance. And they send it to me. What am I looking yeah. for? So you're going to look for a couple of things. And it also depends on if they're bringing in their own equipment or if they're using yours. Um, you're they be should be bringing in their own equipment. Otherwise, they are what? Nicole, say it with me, an employee. <laughs> they are. Well, yeah. I don't know. You'd, we've you'd Don't worry. Right. We've done. That's been like the past four episodes is employment <laughs> misclassification. Right. There's a lot of that, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Um, so obviously, they should have their own business policy. The business policy is going to have equipment. It's going to have liability. It's going to have all kinds of different advertising injury things, products completed, it's going to be kind of like a lump thing. But now starting January 1 in California, depending on where you're at, um, 
you've got to carry workers' compensation. Like they're considered an independent contractor. So most independent contractors, there are some exceptions to the rule, by the way, um, most independent contractors are now required to carry their own workers' compensation if they are injured, hurt, or somebody within their negligence on their actions or behalf. So there's quite a few things you're going to be looking for. Yeah. Because I would imagine most folks probably don't have that. Because I know I didn't even look at workers' comp until I hired my first employee. And then I'm like, well, now I have, like, legally have to have it. I would have never considered yep. getting it just for myself. Yeah. So there's a thing. Well, it's not really been a thing. I mean, I've been doing insurance since 2001. So it's been around, but every state handles it a little bit differently. California just put it in place as of January 1 for independent contractors, but basically ghost policy, which means even if you don't have employees, you still have to have some kind of coverage. Let's say you bring in somebody under your business. Let's say your backup has a backup. Um, you've got to have some kind of coverage in place that's going to protect the original person in charge. So whoever's mm -hmm. on that contract is not now liable for anything you do, even if it's an injury. Whoa. This is so, why yeah. I think insurance is so confusing. And the <laughs> last time I, yeah, the last time I interviewed an insurance person on the podcast, I spent a painstaking amount of time trying to explain the difference of general liability, professional liability, workers comp, like what's the difference, all this kind of stuff. And then I realized in my conversation with you the other day, I still don't really know the difference. So this is why on this episode, we are not doing that. And yeah. why I always tell people like, you don't really need to know. You just need to be very transparent with your insurance person as to what you do. And if they should be able to ask the right questions in order to match you with the right kind of insurance. Well, and they should know that they can't compare your law firm to their law firm. Like right. every single business I see is so different, different employees, different things that they may actually provide service wise. No two businesses are going to be exactly the same. Yeah. Well, this is a great segue into a question that I know that you're going to hate, but we're going to, I'm going to ask it anyway, and I'm going to force you to answer it. Hopefully if, if you will. Go. Um, with kind of our role play example, how much per month would we expect that kind of policy to be ballpark? Are we talking about general liability? Are we talking about work comp? Cause we're talking about multiple. Well, policies. let's break, let's break them down. So general professional workers comp. So could be a number. I'm going to give you a range because giving sure. you a dead set, um, is going to be you know, I, I can say I do, we do bookkeeping. So I see how much a lot of other people pay for their insurance. <laughs> and for this type of client, I'm usually seeing like 40 to $70 a month. Yeah. And that is, unless they have like an astronomical massive, amazing amount of equipment or like top dollar equipment, that's pretty normal for wedding photography. Um, liability, depending on the number and value and how much we're talking about annual sales wise, a lot of these policies are based off of like, how active are you? Mm -hmm. So you could see something super low on like the $30, $40 a month range versus let's say somebody that's doing weddings every single weekend and they might be closer to like the $800 per month. Yeah. That's just one policy. Mm -hmm. Now that we have workers' compensation and this lovely um, addition to insurance and all the changes every year, something changes, I swear. <laughs> but that's just one policy. Yeah. That's not giving my, you all. 
So I would expect, I would expect the general liability to be like the 40, 50 and professional to be like maybe 30 ish. And then I have workers comp and it covers myself and I think three employees and that's like 50 a month. So that's kind of what I figured it would be. So keep in mind, every industry has got a different risk level. Yeah. So for example, like the worst work comp that I see is a general contractor. Like they, they might as well get bent over. Like it's absolutely terrible. (laughs) Well, I was going to bring this up because we actually, we've had, we have some clients who own bakeries because they do wedding cakes and stuff. And their workers comp is a lot higher because, you know, they're taking stuff in and out of a hot oven, but um oh yeah i would imagine all of our all of our folks that are like home-based and don't do events so a, a lot of like business coaches and life coaches and yeah uh, like tech people and vas are all probably going to be similar because really i mean like what the fuck is work comp even covering at that point if like my well, get like carpal tunnel from typing too much <laughs> you would actually be surprised what it covers it even covers like counseling if you have some kind of mental, I don't know, let's just say death in the workplace. Anyways, uh-huh. here's the thing with work comp, which is crazy. And I don't think you could talk to any broker or any agent that can tell you on the dollar, this is going to be this much because it's all based on that company's payroll. For example, I just did a web design company. It was $400 a year. $400 a year in work comp is kind of unheard of. Like Most low? Work comp- yeah. Most work comp policies that I'm writing are in the thousands. And when I say thousands, I mean usually like 5,000 plus. Yeah. Every industry is different though. Like general contractor, you're looking at it. Like, I mean, even in HVAC that I'm working on right now, 23,000 is the lowest I can find right now. So work comp's a tricky thing. It's all based on the number of employees, how many full-time, how many part-time and the payroll and the industry. Do you get, do you get better work comp deals if you provide uh, health insurance to all your people? (laughs) Cause isn't that kind of how like, isn't, doesn't work comp cover it? If like health insurance, like, isn't it, doesn't it come down to like, which of those two things is paying for it? No, it comes down to, was this an on the job injury or was this not? So if I get injured, if I get injured on the job, if I worked for someone else, is my health insurance going to be like, no, we're not paying for it. Your health insurance is going to be like, you need to go through work comp. That was a work injury. Yeah. And that, then if if the company I work for doesn't have work comp, (laughs) then I'm in trouble and they're in trouble. (laughs) Well, you'd be surprised what we see. It's interesting. Yeah. Long story short, obviously your insurance is there for a reason you would let them know, hey, they don't have work comp coverage. And then you would, that would be a completely different conversation. But have you ever gone into the emergency room and had to fill out that paper and they ask you, is this an accident? Was this an accident related injury? Like that also, when it comes to billing for insurance, they want that information right as soon as they receive the bill. Like mm-hmm. they want somebody else to put it on if it wasn't an accident, be it a car accident, work accident, whatever the case might be they're going to get it pulled from the right spot. Yeah. So even though you and I might not be involved, let's say a company doesn't have work comp, I can guarantee you that insurance company is going to go behind the scenes and do a little bit of subrogation Yeah. and try and get their money back. Like they're going to be trying to be made right. The term subrogation is giving me flashbacks because I worked at my very first legal internship was at a plaintiff's firm. And... (laughs) 
one of the attorneys brought me in his office and asked me if I knew how to do insurance subrogations. And I was like, my man, I just finished my one year of law school. I've never heard that word before. I won't bore my audience with what that means, but it was, you know, it was interesting. All right. Yeah. So let's do some, let's do some fun hypotheticals. So back to the photographer example. So you mentioned you would ask them like, do you have backups? Do you do this? And I see this in Facebook groups. I don't want to say all the time, but you know, I'm in Facebook groups that have 50,000 wedding photographers in them. So, you know, there's at least every week, there's at least one person that's dealing with a crisis and it's every wedding photographer's worst nightmare that they get like a corrupted SD card and they lose all their photos, but it happens yeah. So if client sues for that, is that yeah. a general liability or a professional liability thing? Well, it's actually gonna it de- kind of depends on what we're what the suing is for. So if we're mm-hmm. talking about like corrupted SD card or you know images, whatever the case might be, it could fall within both. A lot of our general liability policies actually give additional endorsements, and. Most photographers, well, not just photographers, across the board, every freaking person that has a business needs to know what else is in their policy, right. okay? Like there are additional endorsements that automatically come in these pod- policies. There are additional endorsements you can add. So for example, there are there is coverage for, you know, computer, device, backups, things like that. There's also coverage for products completed. So if you're in a service industry, then this is a huge thing. Like you need to know what you have besides general liability. Like everybody needs liability. If you have a contract to fill, you need liability, but there's more to it than just liability. You're not just getting liability. Another thing people don't understand, and maybe they just don't take the time to freaking understand. I don't know. I mean, you know, we run, we both run things. So we know it's nuts. Mm-hmm. But you got to slow down and be like, okay, what do I have for this? Like, what if that, like, you know, let's just stay transparent and look at worst case scenario because that's what it's for, right? Right. So honestly, you can increase some of those additional endorsements. You can increase those coverages. You can take the coverage completely out. In some situations, you can add coverage. Like every policy is going to look a little bit different, obviously not all carriers are offering all endorsements, but that is something that absolutely needs to be paid attention to. What can you tell us what an endorsement is? Cause I don't think that's like a normal term. of Yeah. So when you look, when you were doing insurance policy, there are things that are automatically added. Um, For example, I'll use products completed, like products completed is automatically added into and part of your policy. 90% 90% of the time. And I'm I guessing seen... based on context that products completed means like I'm supposed to provide this service. Have I completed yes. the service? Absolutely. So wedding photographer would be prime example. Baker would be prime example. Let's say I gave a product and somebody got sick on it. Number of different things you could fall in line with. Um, another endorsement could be like advertising injury, which every single business that is posting on social media Listen, mm-hmm. <laughs> we need advertising injury. You could post somebody else's photo and guess what? They can come after you. If you use that for advertising purposes within your business, that endorsement of advertising injury, which is basically something you can add to your general liability policy. It's we're talking pennies on the dollar. Yeah. But obviously if you 
you know, you're going to be paying pennies on the dollar versus trying to, you know, hold this up in court and pay for it yourself. See, insurance would be a lot easier if they would just like use normal language. Like what the <laughs> fuck does an advertising injury mean? Like I kind of get it because I know in a legal context, injury doesn't mean physical injury. It means oh. like any kind of harm that you cause to someone, which could mean yeah. financial harm, which means that you stole their copyright. But most people are not making those connections. And I think this is the problem we have is we ask for an insurance policy. We don't even know to look at endorsements because we don't know what endorsements are. But then we go to read the endorsements. And if advertising injury weren't there, I would have no idea to know that I'm supposed to be looking for the terms advertising injury. So like, how do you know if you're properly covered? Well, here's the thing. First off, you should at least have an agent or a broker. Mm -hmm. And you should at least take the time to get a little educated on the policy. Like, something don't just say hey here's my card charge it i'm done like come on you know it's kind of like if you were to hire an attorney you're just going to hand them your damn card and say here charge me i'm good i don't need yeah. to vet you at all i don't want you to i don't want anyone to ask me any questions just give me your credit card <laughs> right come on so you need to be like okay when i do this and i'm only speaking for me at this point because everybody's different educate first the sales will come the sale of the policy, obviously people need insurance. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not the net, like you, you gotta have yeah. it, right? But the education is what you need as a business owner. Like get yourself freaking educated and take 10 minutes to talk to your broker. Mm -hmm. It's like you and I, we've had what, two or three, like 10 to 20 minute conversations. Yeah. And between the two of us have shared a lot of information but you need to have like, break this down for me. Like, I want to know what comes with my policy. Easy as that. Mm -hmm. We are, we're licensed for a reason. You passed us a board exam for a reason, right? Like we have to educate our business owners like that. There's a huge lack in education or even people wanting to stop for 10 minutes. Yeah. Cause they're so used to here. Just take my card. We're good. Right. Hell no, we're not good. This is, yeah, this is where I think y'all could use some like modern, some like modern day, um, like tech tools, like pre-recorded <laughs> loom videos that explain different parts of the insurance policy. Right. So you don't have to have the same one hour conversation with every one of your clients. Okay. But Braden, seriously, like who, <laughs> if I can't get them to talk to me on the phone for 10 minutes, 10 minutes, who the hell is watching YouTube? I would. I mean, maybe yeah, I don't know. Right. Maybe I'm different though. But um, because that's what I tell that's what I tell my clients to do with their clients oftentimes is to when they send their contract to send a quick video over with the contract. Like a pre not a video that they're recording for every client, just a stock video. That's like this is a five minute video tutorial of the contract to like highlight key areas. Anyway, I digress. Okay, yeah. so let's let's use that advertising injury as an example, because I think this is a good example that applies to anyone who's listening to this podcast, because I'm sure all of you either post on Instagram or you pay someone else to post on Instagram. So let's talk about like an either we're going to call it an accidental copyright violation or at least someone claiming that you've made a copyright violation. So someone reaches out and they say, hey, that's my photo, or hey, you copied my idea, which isn't really a copyright violation, or hey, you like stole my copy, and now I'm suing you. Like, what should I do now? 
Well, the first thing is not to panic and you don't need to call an attorney right away. You need to reach out to whoever your insurance carrier is. Like if you have a broker, call them. If you have an agent, call them. You work directly with the company, call them. I think a lot of people are hesitant to do that because they think like, oh no, now I'm in trouble and they're going to like raise my insurance. No, you can inquire without filing a claim. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to call and like, Oh, I need to file a claim. No, I need to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Don't just call and file a claim. Unless you have suit papers in hand and you've been served, we're not just filing a claim. Like obviously claims make our rates go up if there's, you know, things paid out and claims made, but you can have conversation. Like it's, that's what your broker's there for. Like just- That was going to be my follow-up question is, do you file a claim once you actually, once someone's actually filed a lawsuit or do you file a claim once you've been threatened with the lawsuit? No, you would file. So obviously either way you want to let, you know, give your broker heads up. Um, obviously if you've been served and you have suit papers, then those need to be scanned in and sent over to your insurance carrier or broker agent ASAP. That's when the claim would actually be filed is when you have been served and there is a court date Okay. So then do you do insurance? Okay. Does your insurance help? So if, if your insurance covers attorney fees, which hopefully it does, do those <laughs> attorneys step in to help you before a lawsuit's been filed or only after you file that claim because you've gotten a lawsuit? Because so I it, would think the insurance would want to step in like pre litigation so that they can resolve this in a much more cost-effective manner, but they can't, they're not really stepping in if you haven't filed a claim, right? Yeah, absolutely. But here's the thing. So a lot of our claims adjusters, they're able to talk in quote-unquote terms of this hasn't happened yet, but X, Y, and Z, this is the process. Now, obviously, every carrier handles things so much differently than one another. There are some that do want to step in beforehand, they do want to step in. They do want to have a conversation. They do want to get as much information from you as possible. That is like completely legit. Like they should be doing that. They should have information, especially if you have, let's say an email or a text or somebody called mm -hmm. you with a threat that needs to be shared. Every insurance carrier is going to react differently to that, depending on the severity. Yeah. And they're going to ask you questions too, because they're, are a lot of bogus things out there bogus claims consistently but at the same time there's also a lot of insurance fraud so let's <laughs> say you had a buddy send you a text because right. you, like come on like it just could go a thousand different well, ways let's not give I'm... the people any ideas okay um <laughs> we no no insurance no, this fraud is here this is good for me, for my audience to know and good for me to know, because as you know, Nicole, I run a legal membership. So we have folks who just, they pay me a monthly fee and whenever they have any hiccups, it would be a hiccup as in like, they potentially need to sue someone because they haven't, the person hasn't paid them or they might be getting sued. And so what we do is, is I'll kind of help them try to settle things pre-litigation, right? So like I'll email their attorney and we'll see if we can handle it. And then if they like actually want to sue you, then you'll turn it over to your insurance. Um, yeah. But the nice thing is, if people have insurance, then I am very much able to say like, hey, we'll give you $500 and then I'll draft up a settlement agreement and you'll sign it and we'll be done. But if that's not okay with you, then like, fuck you, we're going to turn it over to the insurance company and you can fight with their attorneys for the next six months to three years. <laughs> yep. Well, and here's the thing, like a lot of businesses, 
and this is totally like, you know, off a whim, squirrel, ready? A lot of businesses that are at-home businesses, they don't even think about insurance. They don't even think about general liability because I have a business at home, like I'm not really at risk for anything. When in all reality, like if we're posting on social media, be it Instagram, be it whatever, like you're at risk a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. So we have businesses out there in today's world that don't even carry insurance. What about, okay, what about we have these new, are you familiar with GDPR? Yeah. Have you heard of that? So I don't even remember what it's an acronym for, but it's the um, email and website privacy laws in the EU. So okay. they have much stricter laws about like email marketing and data collection, and all that kind of stuff than the US does. But California has adopted a lot of similar laws. So this could be liability in terms of the state coming after you for collecting too much information from email. Is insurance going to cover that kind of stuff? So that's going to be based scenario to scenario. It's going to be so hard to say yes or no, because it depends on like, what are we talking about? Like, were there any violation? Like HIPAA violations are huge. Yeah. Okay. So we have to look into it a little deeper to see, okay, what are they coming after you for? Is this a business violation? Is this a violation based on information, HIPAA violation? Like there's a lot more to it than just saying yes or no. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So what about, okay, where... well, I'll give you another hypothetical, which maybe you can answer it. Maybe it's, you know, case by case as well. I just recently helped some clients with EDD audits. So they're getting audited oh. by the EDD for contractor misclassification. Now, luckily one of them, we were actually able to overcome the audit, but if they said, no, this person actually should have been on payroll and we're going to bill you $10,000 is is there even any kind of insurance that would cover that? You know, in today's world, I feel like I can't even say no, because I'm sure there's something out there that, you know, I feel like there's new policies and new things popping yeah. every day. Um, but from my experience, there's not anything that's going to cover you for misclassification unless that was your broker or agent's fault. So let's say, for example, I misclassified your business doing your workers compensation mm -hmm. or doing which workers compensation is completely attached to payroll which is attached it kind of like this big circle yeah i know i'm going there but <laughs> if i did it wrong on your business's behalf then i have my own eno coverage right yeah, right, right, right. So right. there are different scenarios where it's going to bounce off of other people, but I would say probably 70% of the time yeah, it's on the no. business. Okay, yeah. so here's another technical question. And for my listeners, if I lose you in this section, like don't stress out about it too much because this is a pretty technical question, kind of for my own benefit, but also it might benefit some of you that are listening, depending on what state that you're in. So I teach a whole, I wrote a whole chapter in my book on contractor employee classification. We have a whole module on it inside of my course. And as you probably know, Nicole, there are different tests used in different states and there's a lot of exceptions to the test. What I found most confusing is that there's also different tests for different areas of the employment code. So someone could be required to be a, an employee for purposes of workers' comp, but they could be perfectly fine being a contractor for purposes of payroll, just for example. And I even found Wisconsin was a specific example. They use a stricter rule for workers' comp insurance. So I called the state of Wisconsin 
out of pure curiosity for purposes of my book. And I asked them, well, like, how does that work? Because does that just mean, well, I'm not actually paying them as an employee because I'm not going to put them on payroll, but I legally have to put them on workers' comp because they're an employee for workers' comp purposes. Can I get workers' comp insurance for someone who's not on payroll? And they were like, well, yeah, we assume so. And I'm like, okay, but you don't know. So Nicole, what say you? Is that, <laughs> well, can you do that? You know, it is going to be very hard because there's got to be a paper trail at some point. Workers comp is based off of payroll and it's based mm -hmm. off of job duties and industry. So there's got to be some kind of paper trail, which is funny that you bring this up because I'm actually in the middle of working on an account where we are employing W7, which is like illegal immigrant. Okay. But in the state of California, you, you can get a social security number without getting a social security number. Okay. Like what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mind blown. Anyways, I digress. There has to be some kind of paper trail. Like, and I get it. There's a lot of things about with independent contractors, like the ABC rule in California. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are they in control of their own schedule? Do they follow certain guidelines? Can they choose when they're going to work? Do they make their own appointments? There are certain exceptions to the rule, but there's got to be something. Yeah, well, fun story for you, Nicole. A lot of the folks I've been working with recently, we have a single day event exception under AB5 for the ABC okay. test. But one of the requirements is that the contractor have their own business license. And a lot of people are not checking that. So most people are not able to use it. Um, and also in this audit that we had, the state said that a second shooter for a photographer could not be a contractor using this single day event exception, which I think was written specifically for wedding planners because they said they had too much control and direction, which is requirement number one. And I'm like, this is bogus. Anyway, the whole like workers comp thing, what I was trying to figure out is, okay, well, there's four different areas of the employment law. If someone can be a contractor for three, but they have to be an employee for workers comp, can we just get workers comp and call it a day? And I've come to the conclusion that I'm not teaching that or talking about it anymore because it just confuses people. And if someone has to be an employee for one area of the law, then you pretty much just yeah. like have to make them like an employee across the board and do all the things and get the employee handbook and the insurance and put them on payroll and do all the stuff. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, that has changed so much from year to year. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why I agree with you. I would not even go into that because there's so much red tape. I mean, you can have an ABC and let's say I hit A and B, but I don't meet C criteria, then I'm off the board completely. Mm -hmm. As far as like, do I get work comp or do I, am I excluded? So, it, oh, well, then we like just look a, at one of our 57 exceptions, right? Right. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> also fun. Open. Some states, some states use, I call it the modified ABC test. So some yeah. states, their test is A plus B or C. And other yeah. states use an A plus C test, which is interesting because then it's just control and direction and they have to mm -hmm. have their own business doing the thing that you're hiring them for. So, oh, and every year it changes. Yeah. I currently have our legal intern working on a state by state contractor classification guide. So, I'll have links. We're going to have links um, to the rules in every state, which will be fun. And we're going to include that in our program. Oh, I hope you're ready for that um, automatic update on the, you know, December 31st, January nope. 1. 
you're yeah. like, just go find it yourself. I know. I'm like, this is the problem. Like, do I, <laughs> obviously these kind of comprehensive guides, A, they're super helpful for me because then when I'm working with clients, I can just open it and I have all the answers. And B, yeah. we're going to give all of our students access to that. But then I'm like, well, now I'm opening up this whole can of worms that, and that I have to obviously keep it up to date. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and you know what? Here's the thing that gets me. So I am working with a couple contractors right now that it's, the reason obviously is contractual as to why they need work comp, but some of these carriers are gouging them. For example, I had a guy the other day call me and he's a, you know, window cleaner, $10,000 a year for ghost policy that's literally going to cover nobody. And it's literally only for contractual purpose. That's it. Hmm. So in order 10 grand a year. Or like, then it like doesn't even do anything. Yeah. Great. And like absolutely crazy. So here's the thing. I'm going to tell you, if you're not shopping your insurance and you're just handing your card over for 10 grand a year. Yeah. Seriously. Like we need to have a conversation about really unfucking your head. Like, <laughs> <laughs> who does that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. We want to like, not overpay. Right. That's the big thing. So right? speaking of. Speaking of Nicole, start to segue, you can obviously help some people get some good deals, right? Um, I always like to wrap up the conversation by saying, I have a Facebook group that's called Braden's Besties. Nicole, if you're not already a member, you can go join. I am. Great. If um, any of my listeners want to become one of your besties and talk to you about insurance, what's the best way for them to do that? You know, honestly, um, find me on Instagram. I've got a website as well. You can also go through my company to get in touch with me. Um, you know, my cell phone number is hooked to me and that's on my Instagram. So if you just look insurance by Nicole, it's all there. If you're on Instagram, I'm there. You can Google me. Am I following you? Insurance by Nicole is your Instagram. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to have to look. I don't know. Uh -huh. I'm going to have to look now. Insurance. And Bye. if you want some free entertainment, like that's the place to be. <laughs> oh, follow back. Well, now I feel like an asshole. Hey, no, no, don't worry. Okay, great. So we are following now. Um, any last, any last minute words of wisdom you want to share? Yeah, I do have some words of wisdom. There's this thing called Canva. It's free. <laughs> and it's We amazing. all know about Canva. We all know about Canva. What do you got to okay. tell us about Canva? I need you as a business owner to start using that instead of like screenshot, copy, paste, and put it in my advertising. Oh God. I okay. like to think my, maybe I like to think my listeners are pretty savvy with all of that. People you are just- never know. Okay. I also, so my, one of my best friends, Elle owns Styled Stock Society. So if all, you all need, if, if Canva, if Canva's photos are not cutting it for you, you can join Styled Stock Society with L to get all of the properly licensed photos you need that are copyright free to use on your social media. That's what we're talking about. Right, Nicole? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Like beautiful. Let's do you a favor and me a favor and not take other people's shit. Yeah. Don't take other people's shit. Nicole, I feel like becoming an affiliate for L at Styled Stock Society would be a, yeah, like a good we need an intro for you. Yeah, I'll intro you. It'll be good. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who listened. Um, I think this episode was super informative, but you all can be the judge of that, of course. If you liked it, share it on social media. Um, share on your Instagram stories. Give myself a tag. Give Nicole a tag. Maybe let us know what some what insurance questions you have. Like, 
don't well only slide into Nicole's DMs and ask questions if she really wants you to. But otherwise, like I'll put like a question box up when this episode releases and maybe we'll we'll answer them that way. Does that sound fun? Absolutely. And I'm open to DMs, but just like, you know, if you're in the male category, I am a married woman and I get plenty of offers via DM. So let's keep it professional, people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Please keep it professional. Please keep it professional. All right. Well, thank you, Nicole. Thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, do all of the things. And we will be back uh, in your podcast app next week for another fabulous episode. Hey there. Before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.